0: Well, this morning we're going to talk about one of my favorite words rest. I love that word. I love the word rest. Um, it's a especially sweet word if you're in the middle of a, of a period of time where you're working really hard. Like, rest just feels wonderful. Um, I, I think of recently when we were remodeling our basement in our house. And, you know, when you've got a remodeling project that you're doing, it's like, well, Every night, when you got some free time, you should be working on it. Or every weekend, when you got some free time, you should be working on it. And so it's just like constant work and, until it's done. And when you finally get everything finished, it's, it's wonderful because I, I can rest in my new basement. I can rest. Or, or like finals week at school. And maybe some of you don't ever want to go back there or think about that. Um, that's a hard time, right? You have all these work, all these papers, all these exams, all these things. You're working, working, working until it's done. And then you can rest. You can go play Frisbee or whatever it is that you do after finals week. Okay? Or even just every week. Right? You're working hard throughout the week. You're, you're working, you're working, you're working. And then the weekend comes and you can finally take a breath. You can finally rest. So rest is really, really good. But you only get to enjoy it after you've worked. Right? Well, that's true in our everyday life. Right? You don't get to retire until you've worked your career. You don't get the retirement first, you don't just get to to have that. Uh, You gotta work first. And it's true the Christian life too, that there is tremendous rest offered by God at the end of our lives. There's tremendous rest that's promised. uh, But it doesn't come without work. There's work to be done here and now before we rest. The scripture for this morning is Hebrews chapter 4. Yes, we're going to try to do a whole chapter this morning. Hebrews chapter 4. We're in a series on Hebrews. Um, If you take your Bibles out, it would be helpful this morning. Um, Hebrews in the New Testament, towards the end, it's a big book. We're in chapter 4. Uh, And this book uh, we're studying together, we've seen has been written to a congregation of people who are experiencing a crisis of faith. Uh, That is, for them, in some ways, probably in lots of ways, life has gotten hard, and they've begun to wonder, is it worth it to follow Jesus? Should we stick it out? Uh, And the answers we had so far are, yes, 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 it's worth it. Uh, You should keep following Jesus because he's God, because he's the son of God, because he's eternal, he created the world, he sustains the world. You should keep following Jesus because he's better than any alternative, whether it's angels or Moses or other religions, Uh, You should keep following Jesus because he became a human being. He died on our behalf. He rose from the dead. He blazed a trail for us to eternal life. We should keep following Jesus because he's the high priest who's interceding for us with God the Father that our prayers may be heard. And then two weeks ago, when we were in chapter 3, we saw a sobering example uh, of people who had a crisis of faith and then walked away. Remember, this is chapter 3. Uh, We look back at the first generation of the Israelites who were brought out of Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt, the Exodus generation. We saw that they were an example of what we could call false believers. That is, people who made a profession of faith with their mouth, some sort of, yes, I believe, yes, I will follow God, and yet in their lifestyle consistently denied him and ultimately walked away, which showed that they never really believed in the first place. The application for us as we looked at that was to look at our own hearts, to say, am am I just going through the motions? Am I just saying the words that, yes, I am a Christian? Or has something happened in my heart? Have I truly believed in Jesus Christ? We're supposed to examine our hearts and see, am I a Christian? Now, we continue that story in chapter 4. We keep working off that same example of the first generation of the Israelites who were delivered out of Egypt and yet walked away. And now, as we look at this chapter, we're going to focus on two questions. The questions are, what is the rest that's promised to us? And what is the work we have to do? That's all we're going to focus on. As we read this chapter, there's going to be a lot of things in there. If you've got other questions or things that, that pop up, uh, you write them down on those green sheets. Put them in the the offering plate, and we'll we'll talk about those now, or you can come to discussion groups on Monday and Wednesday night, and we'll talk about those there, Um, because I'm not going to cover everything in this chapter. But I want to focus on those two things, what is the rest that's promised to us, and what is the work we have to do. I'm going to read the whole chapter now, and then we'll talk about it. Okay, so follow along in your Bibles as I read aloud. This is Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Remember the the they that we're talking about here? This is the the Israelites. This is still that first generation we're talking about. Verse 3. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying, through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest... And discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin." Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's a big chunk of scripture and it's kind of complicated. But what I want to do as we look at it today is pick out the main ideas and ask these two questions. What is the rest that's promised to us? And then what is the work that we have to do? First, what is the rest that's promised to us? I'll give you the answer first, and then I'll prove it to you from the passage. Okay? So the answer is, eternal life with God in heaven. That's what the author of Hebrews is talking about in chapter 4 when he talks about rest. Okay? The rest that's promised to us is eternal life with God in heaven. Let me give you a, an overview here of this argument in verses 3 through 10 in the passage here. See, we're looking back at this, this first generation of Israelites as their coming out of slavery and God promised them the promised land. That's why we call it the promised land. It's the land that was promised Uh, Canaan. He says you're going to come in there and he called that the rest. You can enter into rest. Now we know that that wasn't all that was meant by God's rest when God talks about rest because there's other places in the Bible where God talks about his rest and it's bigger than that. Okay, so if you look in verse 4, that's the argument made here. He says, for somewhere, and I'll tell you it's in Genesis, for somewhere he has spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. So the argument is, you know, God talked about the promised land as a place of rest, but the rest is bigger than that because God had a rest that existed from the foundation of the world. When, When God created the world in the seventh day, then he rested. So God's rest is bigger than just the promised land. He says it's also bigger than just the promised land because God still talked about his rest after they entered the promised land. So you look in verse eight and he says, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So the people eventually made it in the promised land. They did. Joshua led them in. You can read about it in the book of Joshua. But that wasn't the end. Later on in in Psalm 95, which is quoted here, David speaks and he says, there's another rest there's a bigger rest. That, that rest, that entry into the land of Canaan was just a symbol of something bigger. It's a rest that remains in the future. Then verses nine and 10 summarizes it and he says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has rested from his works as God did from his. So there's a rest. There's a future rest, a rest with God in heaven forever. This is what rest means in Hebrews 4. Now, just a a brief aside, there is real rest that happens in the Christian life now, right? I mean, when you become a Christian, there is an experience of rest, of relief, of peace, of freedom from anxiety, of of just resting. You're accepted, you're loved by God, you can rest in that. That's real. That's just not what he's talking about in this chapter when he uses the word rest, the focus here is on eternal life with God in heaven. The, the real ultimate resting from all your labors that's in the future. The, only, the rest that we get only either when we die or when Jesus comes back. And that rest is going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. You see here in, in, the, in the passage in verse 9, he calls it a Sabbath rest. Which is a very descriptive word. If you know anything about um, the Old Testament or Jewish practice in general, the Sabbath, of course, was, was Saturday, and it was the day of rest. So as you work six days, for six days you're working, you're working, you're working, and then finally on the Sabbath day you have rest. You have a chance to put down your tools, a chance to, to, to just stop. And, and yes, it's a ceasing from work, but it's not just a ceasing from work. It's a, it's a ceasing from work so that you can play so that you can celebrate, so that you can honor God and rejoice in the, the life He's given you. It, it's like, a, I don't know if any of you are a Little House on the Prairie fans, but it's like, like you know, the, the Sabbath is the time when, when Pa gets to put down his tools and pick up his fiddle. You know, where you're not working all the time, you can stop with all the labor and just take a break and have some fun, enjoy, celebrate, relax. I think a lot of folks um, labor under the misconception that heaven is going to be a drag, that it's, that it's more fun to be here now than it will be to be there forever. Um, if I could pick on Kenny Chesney a little bit. He's got one song that, that kind of has this mindset. It's called Everybody Wants to Go to Heaven. I'm not going to sing it for you, but here's the lyrics. It says, Everybody wants to go to heaven, get their wings and fly around. I'm not even going to talk about what's wrong with that. Uh, Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. Someday I want to see those streets of gold in my halo, but I wouldn't mind waiting at least 100 years or so. And the point is, is you listen to the song, it's like, well, I'm having too much fun now. I mean, heaven will be nice, I want to go there eventually, but I want to have my fun now. It's better here. And and the really ironic thing is, if you know anything about Kenny Chesney's um, repertoire... His various songs. He's always singing about the weekend and always thinking about the islands and always thinking about how it's just, he wants to have fun and relax and fish and play guitar. The ironic thing is, that's what heaven is. He's saying, I don't want to go to heaven because I'm having too much fun having fun now. You know what? Heaven is the weekend, heaven is the great Sabbath rest. It's where you get to put down the work, where you, get to, you don't have to work anymore, you don't have to labor, you don't have to back-breaking, mind-nubbing work. You can stop all that, you can rest from all your labors, and you get to, to enjoy, to celebrate. I mean, life, life is good, but life is hard. And heaven is life with all the hard parts taken out. You know No more sleepless nights. Uh, no more working for hours on the presentation to have the computer crash and steal all your data. You know, no more bosses who are just jerks to you and treating you bad. I mean, n- none of that stuff. It's a perfect, just think about this, it's a perfect endless retirement that makes the best retirement on this life look like a slave labor camp. It's, it's heaven. It's the, it's the weekend. It's the Sabbath rest. It's going to be awesome. That's the rest that is promised for us in Christ Jesus. It's great. But it's not now. It's not now. What we have now is, well, just like in life, before we have the retirement, there's the work. The rest is future, clearly future in this passage. It's something that remains for us, something to be entered into, but we don't have it now. There's work to be done. So for the rest of the sermon, I want to look at that. What is the work to be done? That's pretty important, isn't it? What's the work to be done? i got four things for us out of this passage. The first thing is, it is necessary work. It's necessary. It doesn't tell us what it is yet, but, but we need to recognize, whatever it is, it's necessary. If we want the rest that is promised, we must do the work that is required. And Look at the verses, look look at our Bibles. Verse 11 of chapter 4. Let us therefore strive, or some of you say, make every effort or labor. Therefore, let us strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Look back at chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So, so whatever the work is, and we'll, we'll get there, we'll define that, but we've got to see, whatever it is, it's necessary. Okay, the, the Christian life is not like... Um, we had an experience when we were camping where we took, a, uh, we took a trip down a river, floated down a river, right? And so we, we got in a c- canoe and a kayak, and other people just sat in tubes, and you, you start at the river, and then you float until you end up in Lake Michigan, or at the edge of Lake Michigan. They stop you before you get out there. Um, it's super easy, right? People sitting on the tubes, you know, drinking whatever, just hanging out, just floating around. You, you get in at one point, and you end up at the other end. It's, just a, it's a float, Okay? Now, when we got to the end of the river right before we were getting Lake Michigan, there's another guy in a kayak who's going the other way. Okay, that's more like the Christian life. The Christian life is not get in the boat and float to heaven, the Christian life is a struggle. It's work, it's a great rest at the end. You know, the farmer doesn't enjoy the harvest unless he's planted and cultivated and brought it into the barns. The mother doesn't enjoy the newborn baby unless she's labored. We don't just breeze through life and make it to heaven without hard work, but probably not the kind of work you're thinking of. Because the other thing we have to see about this work that we do now is it is not, it is not the work of outward performance to earn salvation. It's not that kind of work. It's, it's easy to read these verses, like verse 11, and to, uh, to slip into a moralistic, uh, legalistic, self-righteous mindset and say, okay, so what you're saying is, uh, when I've done enough work, then I have earned my salvation. So what I have to do now is I have to do good things in life now. I have to, to do, you know, I have to help people across the street and I've got to give money and I've got to do all these other things and if I do enough of those things, that's my work, then I can retire comfortably in heaven. I'm going to pick on that Kenny Chesney song again. Uh, another verse, he says, I uh, said, preacher, maybe you didn't see me throw an extra 20 in the plate. There's one for everything I did last night and one to get me through today. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Um, we're all, but we're all tempted in some ways to buy God off. Right? Maybe it's not as blatant as putting some extra money in the plate to say, well, if I put a little extra money in him, then maybe that'll get me to heaven. Uh, if I put a little more effort in my, if I'm a little better, if I'm basically good or, or a little better than, than other people, uh, if I just do enough now, then I can rest in heaven. Okay, but you gotta hear this. That is not the work we're talking about. That's not the work that's here. It's a completely different kind of work than our performance trying to earn salvation. The work that we have to do, this is the third thing about the work, the work we have to do is the heart work of having and keeping our faith in Jesus. It's the heart work of having and keeping our faith in Jesus. See, thankfully, this chapter is very clear on what we have to do to enter the rest. Just look in your Bibles at verse 3. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3. It says, For we who have believed enter that rest. It's really clear. We who have believed enter that rest. What do we have to do to enter that rest? What is the work we have to do to make it to heaven? We have to believe. We have to believe. Specifically, we we have to believe the gospel of Jesus, the good news about Jesus, that we're all sinners who have no hope on our own. We're, We're alienated from God. We're enemies of God. We deserve his wrath. But Jesus became a man. Not only that, took our sins on himself, on the cross, so that when he died, he died our death. And he rose from the dead and ascended to heaven to blaze a trail for us to eternal life. If we believe that, then we enter His rest. We will enter His rest. That's verse three. Those who have believed the gospel enter that rest. Now we have to we have to see though that that is work. It's heart work. H e a r t. It's heart work. It's not an outward thing. It's an inward thing, right? It's not something that you do. It's not like well, I gave a thousand dollars. I can see that, it's in my checkbook, here's my receipt. It's an inward thing, it's, it's what happens inside of you, in your heart. You've got to believe the gospel. This was the problem with the Israelites, right? They never really believed, that first generation. God said, I'll take you out of slavery. They said, I don't think that can happen. They got to the Red Sea, and God said, I'm going to part the Red Sea. They're like, we're going to die. They got through the Red Sea, and they're like, we're thirsty, we're gonna, we have no water. God said, I'll provide water. Nah, it's not going to happen. They're hungry. We have no food. Let's go back to Egypt because clearly God can't do anything for us. They make it to the edge of the promised land. They say the people are too big. The cities are too strong. God said we can do it, but we don't believe him. It's the heart work. They haven't done it. They haven't put their faith in Jesus. They haven't put their faith in what God has promised he is able to do and that's our problem too. What we need, what we all need is to do the real work, the heart work, of believing in Jesus. Saying, I can't save myself, but Jesus can. It's hard work. Now, it's also hard work. H-A-R-D. It's also hard work. And this is the main lesson that God's been beating into me as I've been studying Hebrews, and therefore the lesson that I'm beating into you, is that it's hard. It, it is hard work, to keep your faith, it is not the lazy float down the river. It is the uphill climb. It is the upstream paddling. It is hard work. You know, Hebrews admits this, and I think sometimes we don't have the courage to admit it. We think we—we're I mean, going to scare people off, or we're going to maybe we feel like, well, I must be a bad Christian because no one else has these struggles. But the reality is, for all of us, we have these crises of faith. We have this struggle. We may have put our faith in Jesus in the past, but in the present, we're struggling, and it's hard to keep our faith. You know, and, and some people, when they hear that, they might, um, they might think I'm in a bad place. Like, what are you doing being a pastor? If you're telling people it's hard to be a Christian, if you, if you even are confessing, and I am, that for me, it can be hard to keep my faith. Some people might think you, that is horrible, you're a bad person, person you're a bad pastor you need you need help um a might be like well yeah that's that's kind of what it's like for me um it, it's a, it's kind of like the response to ben affleck Wait, bear with me uh when he won an oscar last year for argo he went up there and you know how when people go up and they they give your thank you speeches well he, he was thanking his his wife jennifer garner And in a lot, you know, the the standard Oscar thank you speech is like, thank you so much, I love you, you're wonderful, whatever. Well, here's what Ben Affleck said. He said, I want to thank you for working on our marriage for 10 Christmases. It's good, it is work, but it's the best kind of work, and there's no one I'd rather work with. Now, some people had a huge problem with this. There's a whole stream of people who are are saying like, whoa, Ben's going to be in the doghouse tonight, or... You know How dare he like, stand up in front of billions of people? I think it's billion people watch the Oscars. It's crazy. How dare you stand up in front of this many people and tell them that your marriage is work? You must be on the brink of divorce. Right? But then there's other people who are like, oh, they're so honest and real and beautiful. Of course marriage is work. Of course it takes work. And I'm on that side. I agree with them. I think, yeah, m- marriage takes work. Um, ask any marriage, married couple that's still together and in love, And they will tell you that it took work and it takes work for them to be there. It it takes work to, to stay together and maintain your love. Staying in love takes work. In the same way, keeping your faith takes work. It takes work. If I could paraphrase Ben, I'd say keeping your faith is hard work. It's good, it is work, but it's the best kind of work. And there's nothing I'd rather work on. We have to work at our faith. It doesn't just happen. And you might have the objection and say, well, why would we have to work on our faith? I mean, if it's real, it'll just happen, right? If you're really saved, if you have real faith, then it's just going to happen. You don't have to work at it. Um, Well, like, I mean, I could imagine a newlywed saying that sort of thing to a married couple. Why would we have to work on our love? It's real, it's passionate. It just happens, and if if the older I don't know they might the older couple might might say something to you. They might just kind of give you a look, and nod their heads and think, "Dear sweet child." Um, you may think that now, but after you've lived for a while, you'll understand the reality that love takes work. And, and I don't want to patronize anyone here because I'm just learning this lesson too as a Christian. Okay, but. But for all of us, if you're a new Christian or maybe if your life's just been easy so far, you might have that mentality that says, oh, why would you need to work at your faith? If it's real, it just happens. What's wrong with you? How could you doubt? How could you struggle? But, uh, but Hebrews reminds us you know, that, that take, keeping your lo- faith alive takes work. Eventually, we will all see you know, the, the busyness of life, the cares of life will creep in and, and, and challenge God and try to force him out. Or we'll get trapped in some sort of destructive pattern of sin. Or, uh, or, or we'll experience some unexpected suffering. And then we'll find ourselves in that crisis saying, is Jesus worth it? See, the reality of the Christian life is, is, is although as a Christian you are born again, you, you have a new heart, you still, I still have a sin nature. And, and we can put God up on the throne and then turn right around and try to take him down. That's why Jesus says, if you want to follow him, you've got to pick up your cross daily and follow him. It's a daily thing. It's a daily struggle. It's a daily labor. Faith takes work. See, there's great rest promised. There's wonderful, amazing rest promised in heaven. To get the rest of heaven, we must have faith. And keeping our faith takes work, just like staying married. And in love takes work. So we have to do the work of protecting, strengthening, guarding our faith. That's the work we're talking about here. And just to wrap it up then, practically, what does that mean? Practically, what, what is it that that work is? Well, here it is. This is the fourth point about the work. It's that practically, it's the work of inviting God to work. Okay? It's the work of inviting God to work. Now, this is the best part. This is the wonderful part. Um, this is where, if, if up to this point in the sermon you felt this huge load on you, that was somewhat intentional, rhetorical strategy for you. There's this huge load, how can we do this? How can I, how can I do all this work? You know, I, 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 got, I want to get to heaven and I gotta keep my faith, it's so hard. No, here's the beauty of it. The work that we have to do is the work of inviting God to work. It's not like Jesus says, hey, I died on the cross for you, put your faith in me and then hold on until the end and if you do that, then I will let you in It's not saying, I did it and now the rest of it's up to you. The work that we're supposed to do is the work of saying, we can't do it. It's the work of saying, help me. Of asking Jesus to come and to help us to keep our faith that we might make it safely home. It's the same kind of work as writing a check, okay? Let's say you go to the grocery store and you're going to pay for your food with a check and so you, you're, you're writing the check. Now, the money's in your bank account. It's there. You've got the money to pay for the groceries. But if you don't actually do the work of moving your hand on the piece of paper and writing it and handing it to the cashier, that money does not get credited to pay for the groceries. It's still hanging out in the checking account. So is mean, it work? Is writing a check really work? Well, I mean, it's, not, it's not labor. It's, it's you just authorizing the use of the funds that are already there, but it's something you have to do. And that's what it's like to be a Christian. We, we have the infinite resources of God, the infinite treasures of his grace, waiting to be unleashed in our lives. God wants to help us. He wants to encourage us and strengthen our faith. But we've got to write the check. There's certain things that we can do in our lives practically that invite God to unleash his resources of grace in our life, and that's what we have to do. Now, now, classically, these sort of check-writing activities are called the spiritual disciplines. You might have heard them phrased that way, spiritual disciplines. I prefer a different term, a little bit, an older term, they called the means of grace. I like that term because it, it emphasizes that it's God doing the work. That is, you're saying, these are the things, these are the means that God uses to give us grace. And two of the means of grace that are right here in this passage, you're going to slap me when I say this because it's so obvious, are reading the Bible and praying. After all this, right? After all this, the whole sermon is me saying, you need to read your Bible and pray. Not, not because if you read your Bible and you pray, you, you get merit badges in heaven or God's got the sticker chart and he's putting a star up there each time you read your Bible and you pray and if you get a certain number of stars then you're rewarded with an eternal eternity rest in heaven. Uh, no, no, it's because when we read our Bible and when we pray, we are, we're writing that check. We are, we are unleashing the grace of God in our life. It's the means by which he gives us the grace that we can preserve our faith and persevere to the end. Just briefly, because we're going to take the next couple of weeks on these things. But briefly, look at how this works. In verses twelve and thirteen, he says, "The word of God, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart." Faith, what am I, it's a heart issue, right? It's an internal thing, so we need, if we're gonna work on our faith, we need some tool that's sharp enough to penetrate our hearts, to get through our outward shells of hypocrisy and performance and pride and and get in there, and that's the word of God, right? The word of God penetrates our hearts, and and as we get it, reading it or hearing it preached or uh, talking about it, studying it, memorizing it, as the word of God gets into our lives, it's the means by which God brings his grace to transform us and strengthen us and preserve our faith. So there's work we have to do. We've got to write the check. We've got we to crack open the Bible. We've got to come to church on Sunday. We've got to study the word. We've got to memorize it. We, there's work to do, but it's the work of inviting God to speak into our lives through his word. There's also the work of Prayer verses 14 through 16. Just look at verse 16. It says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Until we make it to heaven, life will be hard. We will have times of need. And so what are we supposed to do? We're just supposed to white knuckle it and say, I'm going to hold on until I finally make it to heaven. No. We're supposed to come to Jesus. We're supposed to come to the throne of grace with confidence and receive from him mercy and grace. We must pray. We must pray privately. We must pray in church. We must pray with others. We must pray with our families. We must pray. We have to work, but it's the work of inviting God to work. And as we invite him to work through prayer, we receive from him mercy and grace to strengthen our faith. We preserve, persevere to the end. So I just want to summarize here. Make sure we get it all. Because it would be the most horrible thing in the world if you walk out of here saying, Pastor said, I've got to work for my salvation. Heaven's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. How do we get there? Through faith. Faith alone. But faith, like love, like love, You must work at it in order to preserve it. How do we work at it? By inviting God into our lives that he might unleash the mercy and grace that is waiting for us. And as we invite God into our lives by these means of grace, he strengthens our faith and we persevere to the end. I'm going to pray now. You notice the children came in. That's because we're going to move now to our time of communion. I like to have us all present for that because the Lord's Supper is also a means of grace. We'll talk about that in a minute, but let me pray now. and After I pray, I'll invite the men who are going to help distribute to come forward. Father, we thank you. Thank you for for the truth uh, that maybe I, I held back a bit to the end of the sermon. The truth that the work that we do is not our own work, but it's simply the work of surrender. And that is hard work. It's hard for me to surrender. It's hard for us to lay down our arms and to, to let you um, work in us. It's hard for us to say, we can't do it. Would you help me? It's hard to, to sit under the piercing gaze of your word and to admit our need in prayer. But, oh, Lord, we need you. We need you every hour. We need you would you please strengthen us both from your word and from prayer and now as we take the Lord's Supper together, would you strengthen us to keep trusting you. In Jesus' name, amen.